Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. Sunny skies. Welcome to this Thursday edition of Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up in just a moment, student journalists from college campuses throughout Georgia reveal what it's like to report on the pandemic and their own institutions. As an editor-in-chief, it's been really hard and tricky I have a responsibility to not only myself, but my reporters to keep them safe. COVID is still going on. It's incredibly frustrating, even when I'm just trying to tell people, hey, this is what's happening. These are the facts. I get pushback. And whether that be from Twitter followers or, you know, officials. At the end of the day, everyone you're covering is a college kid. Like, they're your age. I'm a 19-year-old covering other 19-year-olds or 18-year-olds. There's a lot of weight in the words that you publish. Those conversations are coming up in just a moment, which also includes a reporter from UGA's student newspaper, The Red and Black. And speaking of UGA, the school is reporting 821 confirmed coronavirus cases, of which 798 are students, 19 are staff, 4 are faculty. And this is just after one full week of classes. Now UGA President Jerry Moorhead released a statement calling the rise in positive cases, quote, concerning and urging all students to, quote, prioritize their health and safety. And then there's a report from the New York Times citing UGA with the third highest number of COVID-19 cases at public four-year institutions. Meanwhile, at this time, the State Department of Public Health reports there are 274,613 cases in Georgia, and there are 25,025 hospitalizations of those 4,588 or ICU admissions, and the reported number of deaths, 5,795. And finally, after several months of free rides, MARTA will resume collecting bus fares and allowing riders to board in front of the buses. This will start Monday. Back in March, the transit agency suspended fare collection in order to promote social distancing measures for employees and riders. And since then, MARTA officials say they've invested about $250,000 in safety features, including air filters that remove bacteria and mask dispensers. Now, masks will still be required to ride martyr, and they'll have transit ambassadors that will continue to give out masks at rail stations and bus stops. This is Closer Look. Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE. This is Atlanta's Choice for NPR. As always, I'm Rose Scott. On today's edition of the program... We're checking in with the journalists from colleges and universities throughout the state to hear how they're covering back to school amid this pandemic. You may recall the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill student newspaper made headlines earlier when they broke this news that several clusters of students living on campus tested positive for the coronavirus. 
That story grabbed the attention of a lot of folks around the country, and several of the Daily Tar Heel stories have gone viral. Now, the Daily Tar Heel isn't the only student-run media outlet closely covering these stories. And also, keep in mind, these student journalists, well, they're juggling classes. I've invited them here, our fellow journalists throughout the state, to hear how they're managing. First, we'll hear from Sesway Chapman. He's editor-in-chief at the Maroon Tiger at Morehouse College. Jeanette Boutra, managing editor of The Technique at Georgia Tech. Andy Cole, editor-in-chief of the George Ann at Georgia Southern University. And Brooklyn Valera, editor-in-chief at Georgia State University's student newspaper, The Signal. And they all join me now, virtually. Thank you all for taking the time. Thank you. How are Thank you? you. Well, let's begin here, and we'll just go around the virtual room. First of all, just give me a snapshot of how things are if you are on campus or if you're virtually, what that's been like. And Andy, I'll start with you. Well, it's been, you know, my few times on campus, it's been quiet. Uh, There's not many people around. A lot of people are doing online virtual courses, and it's it's a change for a lot of us. Even in the newsroom, you know, we don't have um, present in-person office hours, it's all over Zoom. And so it's weird not being able to see people walking you know, across campus or in classes. I only have one in-person class, which is crazy to think about. Jeanette, what about you? It's actually kind of the opposite here where sometimes it seems a little bit too normal on campus. Um, like I'll go on campus to go into our newspaper office and work and I'll see the same crowds of students walking around um going to classes like if they have hybrid classes because some are in person um they'll be going to like the dining halls the only difference is like you see people wearing masks now or they're gathered in lines outside the buildings like if they're picking up food but other than that at times it doesn't seem too different um and then sometimes it is pretty quiet but it really varies says way this is different for you (laughs) because you're not at morehouse (laughs) No, not at all. It's a unique experience. One of the reasons why is because Morales is such a unique space where it's a smaller campus, so you're so used to being around your brothers. And when you're separated, it's, it's, it's weird because you don't have that energy to feed off of. Like I said, Morales is such a close-knit space, so when you take that aspect of the school away and put it virtually, it's just a different environment. Um, but, you know, at Morehouse, we're all about, you know, continuing on and, you know, pushing forward. So it's, it's been pretty interesting so far. And Brooklyn, what about you? So for me, it's kind of similar to Andy's situation. Um, Georgia State is kind of, not kind of, it's pretty empty when you go through. It doesn't even look like, you know, we're in school right now. All my classes are online, not in person. So Uh when I go on the campus, it's usually for things related to the signal. So I'll go into the office. Nobody's there um, unless there's like a few people who planned on meeting up our production meetings all on Zoom. So it is weird because, you know, you can't make edits to the newspaper and go bring it to somebody's desk and say, hey, you know, fix these really quick. Um, Everything's over, you know, our messaging system, Slack and Zoom. So it's not my favorite thing to do because I'm more of an in-person type of gal. So um, it's definitely, I will say like my team did a really good job at adapting to online. So I'm really happy for that and thankful but it's definitely a weird situation. Let's talk about covering this pandemic from a journalist viewpoint, because this is a crisis where numbers are so important. 
Brooklyn, let me come back to you. Has it been a challenge for you all in trying to make sure that the information you're reporting and who you get the information from is accurate? Yes. Um, of course, even before the pandemic, always aiming for accurate information, accurate numbers. Um, but, you know, now more than ever, um, Georgia State, you know, regarding their coronavirus case numbers, they do voluntary reporting. And, you know, we as student journalists, unfortunately, have to ask for said numbers because um, other institutions have been, you know, displaying their numbers on an updating website and things of that nature. So we definitely do have to go in and, you know, ask for these numbers. And since they are voluntary, it is mm. difficult to know the accurate number. So we do what we can with the numbers that we are provided because there is, unfortunately, there's not a way for us to go through and figure out each individual student mm -hmm. that is or has been impacted. You know, Georgia State reaches out to people that might have been in contact with the person, but who knows if the, per the people contacted go get tested themselves. So it's pretty difficult, you know, yeah. as a journalist at Georgia State when you have all of these like moving pieces that are changing constantly and you have to go, you know, ask for certain things and it still might not be accurate. So, uh, Jeanette, let me come back over to you. What about g getting information at Georgia Tech? It's kind of been a give and take. I mean, there's so many different types of information out there that we've been looking at. Like they have surveillance testing going on. So there's surveillance testing rates, there's diagnostic testing in different areas. So there's those rates, which are a little bit harder to access. There's like the positive results that come out every single morning. But then sometimes we're not even sure if those are accurate because they'll write things about how like, oh, there wasn't testing on Sundays. Um, and like the president posted this huge report of how many people from each Greek house had gotten tested. But then after that was posted, some of the Greek houses went back and said like, this is not accurate because some of our students don't live in the house or they like put their residence somewhere else. So it's definitely like every single piece of information we've gotten has helped put the state of campus in context, but you have to take it with a really big grain of salt um, and constantly question whether it's true, whether it's worse, whether it's better, or if it's going to get better or worse. It's definitely been really difficult um, knowing there's so many different things going on, but at the same time, not having access to all of that information. And the only thing we can do is just keep like trying to communicate with admin and request more um, and then like be on that constant lookout every single morning when we wake up, first thing you do is like check the reports, check the sites, see if anything else happened overnight somehow in like the few hours you were asleep. Um, so it's definitely a lot. Hmm. Andy, what about you all getting information? Well, I think the biggest challenge is hearing back in a speedy fashion um, or hearing back at all. Um, recently, you know, with some of our harder hitting stories, we have either not gotten a response or gotten a no comment as a response. Hey, Andy, and I always let, say, me, let, me, let me stop you to get used to that. You're absolutely right. But, you know, when a lot of people are asking questions about a pandemic, it gets dangerous to not comment. And um, we understand that. And we continue to press them on that. I tell my, my team all the time, you know, no comment or, or not, no response is just as powerful as any response. And I think that says so much about the story. Georgia Southern just recently in the last two weeks started releasing numbers on a weekly basis, not daily as Bullock County schools are doing. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a little concerning, but, and, and I'm sorry. No, go ahead. You're good. You're good. And, um, you know, just recently they released the numbers from last week 
and Georgia Southern had 508 cases, 508 cases. They lead the University System of Georgia in cases. So as I mentioned earlier, campus life may have changed, but the party life and life outside and off campus has not. And that's affecting our numbers uh, big time. Seswe, mm. what about you and what you all at the Maroon Tiger? Are you able to get the information that you need? And also... Yeah, so it's a little different, whereas we don't really have any COVID reports because we're not on campus. Mm-hmm. So a lot of our information has been completely related to academia and only, you know, relates to the school and what we can possibly do next year. Um, earlier, before the semester started, um, Morehouse was one of the first schools to cancel their fall sports. I think it was the first school to cancel fall sports. And I think we also had like a hybrid program to begin similar to uh, some of the other schools here. Over the course of time, uh, my fault, sorry. No, go ahead, you're good. Okay, yeah, so over the course of time, uh, that changed to a full virtual. So I have too many, um, reports that relate to COVID-19 and the pandemic outside of what we're doing in the spring. So um, a lot of things, uh, I guess, uh, in relating back to your other question, just in terms of getting information, um, it's been pretty, it's been pretty available. Um, well, it's a great communications team and we work very closely with them just so we can have accurate information, you know, presented to the students. Uh, one of the flaws in the past was that information was so hard to get through to the students and it was like all these different channels but now um, we're creating a more direct line of communication with the administration the Maroon Tiger and it's been a way better experience because now uh, the student body and administration are a little bit more on the same page than it has been in the past so and also you know being virtual kind of helps with you know the string of information being a little cleaner because you don't have to worry about the statistics of what's going on within uh, that space in particular. Let me ask you all this, because not only as students, but as student journalists, are there any story angles that perhaps we're missing right now as it relates to the college experience and what college students are dealing with? If so, tell me what it is. Is that the way? Yes, I, th- I feel like uh, we talked about this earlier in the in the show, but like the mental health aspect of things. This is such a new experience for everyone. Um, everything we're doing is a first time. Um, whether it's being full virtual, being on campus with certain restrictions, a lot of things are new. And for uh, us journalists at such a young age, um, it's pretty difficult to navigate sometimes. So I feel like although we do talk about in like the mainstream media, what's going on, our students going back on campus, I guess just like the process into school, I don't think the story of what the students are thinking or what happens when you get back on campus or how's this virtual experience going on I don't feel like that conversation is being had enough about, okay, wait, but what do we think about this in terms of our mental space? So mm-hmm. I feel like that's one of the stories that could be um, documented a little bit more. And hopefully, you know, as student journalists, we can, you know, continue to put that, put that out there just to, you know, showcase how important it truly is. Good point. Brooklyn? Uh, I feel like something that has been like, I guess, in the forefront of my mind, I'm a senior, so, you know, graduation's coming up. We had our, you know, first graduation online virtually this past spring. So just the idea, you know, our graduates are into their careers or going into life or they're they're actually not, you know, like a lot of people had internships canceled. These are new things that we're expecting to get this experience straight out of college or in college. And, you know, these things are just all getting canceled. And um, a lot of people are 
not being able to get into their entry level jobs to further their experience and things like that. So we're all, like you said, navigating these new times and some of us are getting like this halt, you know, like we were told like after you graduate college, this is what's going to happen or in your senior year, this is what's going to happen. This is what you can do, but we can't. So, you know, people are giving us advice and telling us what we should do, but none of us have really been in this situation before. So mm, another good point. Just, yeah. Another good point. Andy, what are folks like me? What are we missing in trying to cover this pandemic through the lens of what's happening for a college student? I think the biggest thing is that I believe we're missing a lot of the opinions. Uh, I think we hear a lot from people that say we should cancel school. We should, you know, quarantine in our homes. But from what I'm seeing, I live in a neighborhood with just college students and there's hundreds of of college students here um, all the time. And I think we're missing a lot of those opinions of the people that say, I don't care. I saw a kid, a friend of mine that went to middle school with me and, and now is at Georgia Southern. He tweeted a picture of a party actually just down the street from me, hundreds of people there. And he tagged the CDC and he said, why not? And so I think we're missing a lot of those opinions of people that say, why is this important? Why should I do this? Um, I tell a lot of people that, you know, when college students don't care about something, they really don't care about it. And so that's what we're trying to focus our coverage on is saying, how, hey, how do we get those that, that don't care about this pandemic to buy in and to understand that, you know, masks are a sign of respect. Being socially distant is just to protect you and, and others around you. And that's unique for this time, you know. It's so odd that a pandemic is so polarizing that we really are taking this from a, yes, I believe this, we need to do this, or no, I don't believe it, screw authority. It, it's, it's such an odd time in our lives. Um, I've never seen it before. Now, granted, I'm only 19, um, but it, it's just an odd, odd time. And so I think we're missing those opinions of those that say, I don't care. Why should I care? Jeanette, what about you? What what are we missing? What are folks like me missing in telling the stories about what's happening on campuses? Um, so I think since schools started getting kind of back into their routine, there's been a lot of coverage of like what's happening on campus, how administration has been handling things, like how the outbreaks are going. But I think there's a lot of students who are kind of being lost in that process. So there's so many that didn't make it back to campus um, or they did make it to campus, but it's not this one. So I know like for tech specifically, one thing that I've kind of been thinking about is how we have a decently large like international population. Um, and there are some people who they've been forced or like had to go to our campus in China if they're an international student who were like living somewhere else or they went to our campus in France and it's I want to know like what's going on with them like are they being treated fairly how is administration communicating with them um like how is it affecting their college experience because I know that's one thing in the spring that kind of became a problem um then it was specifically with like our students who were studying abroad which still is like a really big chunk of our population there were some people who had been told by administration that everything was fine and then they continued with all their travel plans made it all the way to like south korea and four days after they arrived administration made them come back so there's a lot of frustration on that part with a lack of communication a lack of like assistance in getting back there's a lot of financial loss for a lot of people because 
they paid their own tickets they got there they like bought stuff and then moved out immediately there are people who were stuck for months and couldn't find their way back and they felt a little lost because they were essentially told like go back but there were travel vans there were so many things going on um and i feel like that's a large portion of a lot of campuses populations there's people in other places who you don't see or talk to all the time so we kind of forget that they're there but they're just as an important member like of our community and the college experience. And they should also be kind of covered and like made sure that they're doing okay and being treated fairly and getting the best of their educational experience that they can if they're paying so much money to go to a higher institution like this, especially within the USG system and the way they've kind of been handling things over the past few months. Mm -hmm. As we wrap up, I'll start with you. I wanna get your reflections as a journalist covering all of this. And is it tough for you to separate your own personal opinion, your own personal viewpoint? And you're all leaders at your respective papers, your outlets. So how challenging is that for you? Or has it been? So I'll, I'll stay with you, Jeanette. Um, it's definitely been something that's come up over the past two weeks um, since I've been back. Like, when I was off campus, it's very easy to read information and like hear things and then you're able to sort of like compartmentalize it in your head and say like, okay, this is happening. We know we can report this, but then actually being here and like seeing the way people are acting, at times it can be disappointing and at times it could be encouraging because there's, you know, there's people who are volunteering to like hand out PPE kits and you're like, that's a really good thing. And then there's people who you'll be walking down the street like on a Tuesday night coming back from the newspaper office and they're going out in hordes like to into Ubers and going to places and you're very much like ugh, like why are we back here if we're gonna keep doing this but then as a journalist you're like okay how can we portray this information but not make them necessarily feel targeted because at the end of the day everyone you're covering is a college kid like they're your age I'm a 19 year old covering other 19 year olds or 18 year olds or 20 year olds and like there's a lot of weight in the words that you publish. Um, so it's been very difficult to try to find a balance of saying like, we're stressing the importance of doing these things, but also making sure that the people who are being covered don't feel targeted or like if they do something wrong or if they do something right, it's immediately gonna be in the headlines. Like that was a conversation that we had with a lot of Greek leaders where for some reason they, people in their houses felt like if they got tested regularly and they were tested positive, they would be punished somehow. And so that's a reason why a lot of people weren't being tested the first two weeks. Um, so we had to have a huge talk about that and say like, no, the regular testing is super like encouraged. If you get tested positive, people will, yes, make you quarantine, but it's for like your best interest and for your safety. So there's been a lot of like warped mentalities on campus. And I think as a student journalist, I've been trying very hard to make sure I don't add to that and like the spread of misinformation or any like attitudes which kind of take information like that and are like, oh, I don't want to get tested like, or if I get positive, I'm not going to report it because then people are going to look at me weird. Um, so it's been a very like thin line of trying mm -hmm. to tell people what they need to hear, um, but making sure like the message doesn't get lost in translation. Hmm. Brooklyn, what about you? So one thing I will say has been like, I guess the biggest difficulty for me and I've seen like amongst my team is that, you know, before when officials or individuals were, you know, responding to emails or phone calls, we could just show up at their office and knock on the door and say like, hey, you know, 
we've been trying to get in contact with you for this story. You know, we'd really appreciate a comment, but now it's like people can just ignore the emails if they like or ignore phone calls if they like. And it's just been a little bit more difficult to try to explain through voicemails and email how important somebody's voice is in an article especially when it's the opposing side or you know the side that not everybody quite agrees with it's it can be quite difficult you know to just relay the things that you could in person better over email and you know phone and you know get interviewees more comfortable you know because we could invite them into the office or you know go sit down for coffee or something and get more comfortable and you know understand who we are and like get the conversation going but now it's like oh well just send over your questions through email and I'll answer them when I can I'll get them to you back by Friday and it's just like I don't want these you know PR responses in a sense like these you know I want the organic conversation and you know whatever comes about that has been you know quite difficult and (laughs) totally understand that Andy what about you what's your reflection through all this and being a journalist and I think being a college student. I've, I've been, yeah, I've been um, editor-in-chief at the Georgian for now just under a month. Um, since then, we've sort of changed our news philosophy. As I talked about a little earlier, we're doing a lot more hard-hitting stories. Um, since then, we've, we've taken on a lot more heat um, from whether that be the institution or, or people on Twitter. And I think, you know, the best way to describe it would be frustrating. You know, I would love to, you know, tell people exactly what's going on so they can make an educated decision on their own. And it's incredibly frustrating when, even when I'm just trying to tell people, hey, this is what's happening. These are the facts. Um, I get pushback. And whether that be from Twitter followers, as that's more often than not, or um, officials, it's, it's a shame. Um, you know, I think this whole thing has just been frustrating because you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. And, and that's really for all groups right now. College administrators are damned if they do, they're damned if they don't. Journalists, damned if they do, damned if they don't. Students, damned if they do, damned if they don't. It's it's incredibly complicated and it's incredibly frustrating. And it's, um, it's you know, I want to sit here and say, this is what I think, but that's not my job. My job is not to tell you what I think. My job is to tell you what's going on. So you can make an educated decision and decide on your own. Mm-hmm. And that's my goal at the Georgian. And I think we've done a pretty well, a pretty good job of it uh, so far. All right. Says, well, I'll give you the last word. How are you handling covering this as a journalist and then just trying to live your life as a college student? Um, uh, the rest of you know, students really summed everything up pretty well. One thing I do want to say, uh, though, is just use you know our platforms responsibly um we have is from a perspective that you know like i mentioned earlier isn't told as often so using that platform responsibly and one thing i told uh my staff and team is just that try to make sure what you produce and the stories you're going after is quality we're not going after the who's the fastest or things of that nature of course that's important timeliness but you want to make sure that what you say is meaningful and is covered correctly. Uh, like you mentioned, that is, is, is fair. We want to make sure that, you know, what you report on has everything covered in what you're trying to say and what you're trying to, you know, uh, to, uh, yeah, what you're trying to say, because those articles and those stories that you produce do have 
do have a lasting impact and does reflect on not only yourself, but on the college and on, you know, on the organization. So, you know, just using your platform, your responsibility wisely, um, because um, it's, it's important. It's important that we have this and there's a reason we have these. You want to make sure you reach to the best of your ability. Cisway mm. Chapman, editor-in-chief of the Maroon Tiger at Morehouse College, Jeanette Boutra, managing editor of The Technique at Georgia Tech, Andy Cole, editor-in-chief of the George Ann at Georgia Southern University, and Brooklyn Valera, editor-in-chief at Georgia State University's student newspaper, The Signal. Thank you all for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Best of luck to you. Continue to do what you're doing. You all are the future in this industry. Best of luck to you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Rose. Thank you. Thank you, Rose. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's Choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. And we're going to continue with the second half of today's program as we're checking in with student journalists throughout the state to see how they're doing, how they're covering not only the pandemic, but they're they're covering how the schools have reopened, how they've come back. Now, in the first half of the program, we heard from editors and reporters at Morehouse, Georgia Tech, Georgia Southern and Georgia State. And now we turn to Lena Allen, editor in chief at Valdosta State University's The Spectator. Angeline Hoon, assistant news editor at the Emory Will. Emily Rose Thorne, editor-in-chief of the Cluster at Mercer University. Sherry Lee Young, enterprise reporter at the Red and Black. Thank you all for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having us. Let's begin here. What's been the response? How would you assess being able to get the information you all need, whether it be from state health officials or from university officials? Uh, what's that been like and how are you trying to maneuver through that? Yeah, it's definitely been a bumpy road. Um, I would say that in the beginning of the school year, it was difficult to get full transparency from the university because Emory took a couple weeks to put up its COVID-19 dashboard where it's tracking cases. I believe it only went up a few days ago um, and school started over two weeks ago. Or students moved on to campus over two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And so we've reached out to numerous um, Emory officials just trying to get like current data. Um, and Emory has been testing, but it's been to a limited extent so far. It, they tested every student that came onto campus. So I believe they've administered around 10,000 tests, but we couldn't get the data from those tests for a number of weeks. Um, and then we did have the opportunity to talk with our new president. Um, when he came in, uh, President Greg Fenves just came in from UT Austin after former President uh, Claire Sturck announced that she would um, be uh, not be in the position anymore in the spring. And so I think that's added another level of complexity to things. It's that we're having a major change in administration at the same time as this pandemic is going on. And so that has made communication with administration a little interesting as well. 
Emily Rose, how has it been for you all at the cluster and getting the information that you all need, whether it be from Mercer officials or public health officials or anyone? We have actually had um, a surprisingly easy time getting COVID data um, from the university. So we are a private school and we were a little bit worried that maybe some of that data would be withheld or would they wouldn't be necessarily forthcoming with it. But um, they conducted an initial round of testing before students were allowed to move in. So they conducted all of those tests and released that data, like I think the next week, which was a little slow. But since then, they've been updating us every Friday with updated um, numbers. And it's been very accessible. We've had good communication with the university. Um, we actually had like the director of media relations send us a press release the first day that data were announced to tell us that they had released that data. Um, and even over, over the summer, they released data as well because we had athletes on campus and a few other um, groups on campus. They reopened for in-person classes in July for the second session of summer classes. So mm -hmm. we had a good number of people on campus and they released those test results as well. So they've been pretty forthcoming with um, COVID data and with their plans. Not maybe quite as forthcoming as we would like with in terms of what they're going to do in the future. Mm -hmm. And some details were a little difficult to iron out. But in general, we haven't had that um, challenging of a time at all. Sherry, um, UGA, obviously part of the University System of Georgia, and as well as Valdosta State. But Sherry, uh... as with the last question, a bit of a different scene than Mercer. Um, I think the problem with our data is it, it might be a bit incomplete, even if we do have it. Um, if you're only doing 60 symptomatic tests and 300 asymptomatic tests, the positive, but the positivity rate will be a little skewed. Um, you know, people might not be doing dog check, which they remind you every morning to check your symptoms. Um, but it's ultimately up to you to report your cases. Um, there, there's not much direction as to what isolation looks like. There's not much direction as to, you know, if you're living in a dorm, you get COVID, do you have to go home? Do you have to stay here? What's the capacity for that? They have been posting numbers throughout the summer. Um, so we kind of kept track of that. And we have a data reporter who's been on top of it from the beginning. But, you know, like when we had a news tip about a death of a UGA housing employee, they still have yet to confirm it. We confirmed it through other means, through the ACC coroner, um, and it's been made pretty apparent that they will not reveal employee deaths, at least not so far on any sort of COVID-19 health and exposure page. Um, UG Athletics is a completely different story. There has been no telling of what the cases look like there. We know that they have mandatory testing, mm -hmm. um, but we haven't been able to see what those actual numbers are. Um, so definitely a lot up in the air, a few open records later, but um, yeah, we're, we're still trying to figure some things out from the university. Mm. Lena, the same issue with Valdosta State because you all are also part of the University System of Georgia? Exactly the same, you know, um, they're kind of, uh, you know, hidden with their information. There's a lot up in the air, like Sherry said, and there's just this uncertainty about the exact numbers. And, you know, VSU, they just put up the number of cases that are currently on campus recently last week. So we're just now getting those numbers and that information. And it's just really been, I won't say difficult, but it's just been 
kind of weird trying to connect with not only the administration at VSU, but also just anybody in general um, with that information because they're kind of like, they're sensitive about that information. You know, you have HERPA laws in effect and then you just have the communication side of VSU where they wanna make sure to get the exact information in their way, like in their words. So it's just been really not, it's been hard. Like this, the connection is really just up in the air. Well, Lena, let me stay with you because I'm interested in knowing what you all think is not being reported. Maybe a story angle that folks like me and maybe some of the other larger media outlets as these campuses reopen. Is there a story angle or an issue, a topic that's not being reported that you think people need to pay attention to? Definitely. You know, there are some active cases on campus right now. We did just learn that last week. But how many actual students are there in the dorms quarantine, quarantining? And um, we don't know that. And, you know, they are doing tests at our student health center as well. We don't know how many of those tests are being tested there. Like they're not specifying that on their reports that they recently updated on the BSU website. So that's unsure as well. And then um, me and my staff actually realized that they're coming from two different angles. We have student life and student academics. So student ap- academics, they're handling things, you know, way different. You know, you have the option to go online or do face-to-face classes. And then with the face-to-face classes, they're making sure that there's social distancing. Um, there's a number of computers that have to be taken out to make sure that students are social distance and the face coverings and also the shields that they're putting up in each classroom to make sure that everybody is safe. As opposed to student life, we're still having events like one of the big events that we recently had was the happening. And it's a big student organization event where all the student organizations set up booths outside on our big front lawn. And uh, you're able to, students are able to just walk around and talk to each student organization. So they did do it differently this year. Um, They had 50 groups each day and they had it spread out um, within the week um, to have specific days for each group. But um, they don't have control over what everybody does. So I was actually at the event. You had people, some people with no mask on. You had some organizations with more than two people under one tent, not social distancing even though we're outside, you know, you still should social distance to make sure that you're staying safe. So you just kind of see that big difference between student academics and student life, because, you know, you don't want to make sure to still have fun. And especially for the freshmen, you want them to experience, you know, the college life that any of us upperclassmen experience as well, but you still have to take into consideration safety and the guidelines that CDC has put in place. Mm -hmm. So it definitely has been interesting um, seeing the, different ways that student life and student academics have tried to keep everybody safe. Hmm. Anjali, let me get your thoughts on this. Is there a story angle that you think could use more coverage? Absolutely. Um, I think one major thing that I've noticed from Emory students is student mental health, both on and off campus. So on campus, um, we recently, actually yesterday, put out a story about how RAs are feeling very overwhelmed by having to enforce COVID-19 regulations in addition to their normal housing jobs. Mm. So what that means is while they're trying to build community and form relationships with their students, they're also being tasked with telling their students they're doing things wrong, which makes then makes it very difficult to do things like build <laughs> community. Um, and they've expressed concerns to the university and the university has not responded to these concerns. 
Um, additionally, you've got freshmen on campus who are having a severely diminished experience. Um, they're not getting to go to in-person events. Things as simple as the dining hall or the gym are closed or have limited access. Um, we've heard reports of students going hungry because they have they only have to-go options in the dining halls. And if it's not something you like, then you're gonna have to find something somewhere else. Mm. Um, and so a lot of students are being very adversely impacted by COVID-19 on a mental level because they feel isolated or they're overwhelmed in terms of having to deal with the pandemic on top of normal schoolwork. And then you've got universities all over the country sort of acting like everything is normal. Um, a mm. lot of universities didn't adjust tuition. Uh, they didn't uh, account for certain things such as like students not being able to work jobs because they can't physically go into those spaces. And so I think students are overall a lot more stressed than they would be. And then from an off-campus perspective, of course, you've got students all over the country who are missing their friends, are missing their normal collegiate experience. And so it's been very difficult for them as well because you're essentially sitting in your room all day taking Zoom classes and that's as much exposure as you're getting to the outside world in a lot of students' cases. Mm. So I think that's definitely something that larger news media could be touching on is the adverse impacts on students' mental health as a result of this virus. And that is the second time we've heard about covering mental health at the colleges and universities. Thank you for that. Uh, Emily Rose at Mercer, is there a story that needs bigger coverage? Um, I was also going to talk about mental health, but a second thing that I had in mind is maybe... Um, accountability, and this goes not just for Mercer, I'm sure, but I, as editor-in-chief, have heard from students saying Mercer has a mask mandate, but I've seen people who walk into classes with their mask, you know, below their nose, and nobody tells them that that's wrong. I've seen professors, or people are telling me I've seen professors not wearing masks while they're teaching. Um, and I've even seen, I've actually seen pictures that students have sent into us of classrooms that are supposed to be social distanced where students are literally like one maybe two feet apart instead of the Mercer said that they should be four feet apart um, if they're sitting next to each other and they're still not even hitting that in many of the classes where I've seen pictures from well we've seen pictures too at the cluster of our dining halls and how people are so close together I think it seems even more crowded at times than it did last year when we weren't in a pandemic and it's just been very difficult for us to report on that because we've had trouble getting students to go on the record talking about their experiences. Mm -hmm. And we are trying to not use anonymous sources for stuff like that because we want to maximize the credibility of our reporting. And then it's also been hard to approach the administration when we don't have concrete, this is what students have said and are willing to go on record as saying. All we have at this point is pictures. And all we have at this point is what the administration has said their plans are, but we don't have anything about well, are those plans working? I've seen coverage of Mercer from other um, outlets that have said, here's what Mercer's going to do. But again, I'm not really seeing anyone saying, here's what it actually is looking like in practice. Like, here's what it, here, here's what it is on paper, but what is it on practice? And so I feel like accountability and following up is something that I haven't seen a lot. And Sherry, what about the red and black? What's an angle that you think, a story angle that you think needs to be told? Yeah. Well, first of all, I agree with everything everyone else has said, um, like student life and academics, uh, mental health and accountability. Something I think we could also do a better job at and something I would like to see from other publications as well is kind of the faculty side of things. You know, whenever we watch 
the nightly news, my dad is always thinking, why are we talking only about students' health and precautions like teachers and professors are having to go into these unprecedented circumstances? Mm -hmm. You know, they've spent their entire summers rescheduling curriculums that they've been teaching for years and years and years. Um, and my mom's also a middle school teacher, so she has to go in person. She works in Fulton County. Um, and some professors, like, you know, students might have optional in-person attendance, but professors don't have that option. Most of them don't, at least. Um, and so kind of focusing on their health and, you know, we often talk about maybe the negative parts of faculty, maybe faculty who are being too harsh during the pandemic or faculty who aren't being understanding. But like the reality is, you know, most of us have professors who are very understanding, who are, you know, changing their entire curriculums just to accommodate, who are being very lenient with attendance, mm -hmm. who are understanding that this, these are unprecedented circumstances. So I, I think as the red and black and also I think for state and national publications, focusing on the teachers and their concerns about any precautions that they wish they had, um, any resources they wish they had, because a lot of these programs are not in place for the faculty mm. or employees of, you know, um, janitors and like people who are running the place, sanitation workers. Um, that is a huge, huge aspect to making all of this run smoothly. And I think we, we definitely want to look a bit more into that. Sherry, let me stay with you because as we wrap up, my question to you all is, how are you handling this as a journalist and also as a college student? Because there's an intersection where you're basically covering something that is greatly impacting your own quality of life. And how are you managing to maneuver through all that? Sherry, I'll, I'll start with you. Yeah, um, so I kind of started covering COVID last year when it was still in China in January and I've kind of been on this ride from the beginning um, and I think last year spring semester was especially tough because you're you know walking into this completely blind even though I had been covering it from the perspective of international students from China like it didn't seem real at all. It was it was very surreal, very dystopian. Um, did not think that it could come here and come March, spring break, like all hell broke loose. We, <laughs> yeah. I that spring break was especially weird because you know you're still running on the adrenaline of covering. Okay, like University of System Georgia is reversing its decision. It's making a new decision, um, and that was particularly stressful. The summer was a bit different because we didn't have the course load. We were in it um, a bit smoother, but obviously like protests, we've had a lot of internal discussions, changes um, with regards to diversity and inclusion. Mm -hmm. That was stressful. And coming into the semester, I think it's different because we're a bit more prepared, but also, you know, even though we're like 20 year olds, we're also a bit weathered by the last year. Um, and so I, it's been hard, definitely, but I think, you know, student girls have kind of a different perspective on things. They're especially adaptable um, with regards, I know some people have mentioned this, but like we're taking full course loads on top of, you know, serving for most of us as like the primary news source for our communities of like thousands of people. And mm -hmm. so um, thank you for asking how we are. But yeah, I think... Um, 
it's hard, but it's it's definitely rewarding, and and I hope I hope we can come out of this uh, as a stronger publication. Lena, what about you? How are you balancing this? Man, it's been really hard and interesting to look at it through two different perspectives as a student and as a student journalist. So as a student, personally me, I have a lot of online classes, but I do have two face-to-face classes. Mm-hmm. So it's just fearful for me. Like I'm scared going on campus, not being able to control what other people do, but definitely being able to control what I do. So um, with that, I've just been making sure that I'm staying safe and making sure that I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, um, staying within the guidelines of CDC. But as an editor in chief, as a student journalist, it's been really hard and tricky. I have a responsibility to not only myself, but my reporters to keep them safe. And, you know, there's a lot of great stories out there um, with everything going on, but COVID is still going on mm-hmm. and it's still yeah. up in the air. So it's been really tricky and demanding, making sure that my reporters stay safe, but also me staying safe. And um, I know sometimes I do neglect my own mental health and it's really that mental health does sometimes go out the window when you're thinking about other people and in terms of COVID as well. But mental health for me, it's been like really revealing this semester. Um, I never really thought about my own mental health until this semester. So it's just been, it's been really hard and emotional, but we're getting through it again. We're definitely, um, just smoothly transitioning into making sure that we're not only staying safe, but also covering um, major stories that will inform students and help everybody else stay safe. Mm. So, yeah. Emily Rose, about you, through your lens, how are you handling this? Yeah, um, I think obviously college is anxiety inducing, but I think this is one of the most anxiety inducing semesters that I have had and that many people have had um, because as a student, I, I'm a freelancer as well as like a journalism student. And over the summer, I wrote an opinion piece for a major national publication where I said, it is a terrible idea for colleges to reopen in person because Mercer had just announced that all people, all students would be returning to campus. There's no online option. Everyone's coming back. And we have a three-year housing requirement on campus. So juniors, sophomores, and freshmen are all on campus. I live off campus, but that means that just coming to campus for my classes is extremely stressful because there's all these people who are living in crowded dorms and who are going to dining halls that are around me like all the time. Um, So that's a very anxiety inducing thing, especially knowing as a journalist that the administration, they obviously read the article that that I wrote that I was talking about. They know how I feel about it. So I feel like I have to be extra careful in making sure that all of our coverage is objective, but also that it like prioritizes the voices of the students. And a lot of what we're hearing from the students is more of, I'm also feeling anxious. Mm. So it's representing the student voice without making it seem like we have a particular bias when we don't have a bias, we're just the voice of the students. That's our little tagline. Um, I think also it's anxiety inducing as an editor in chief to send many of my staff out to cover events. So we've had events, we had an event similar to, someone else talked about this, like a student organization meet and greet We had one that was supposed to be like a virtual in like a virtual reality world and it didn't work. So they rescheduled it to be in person. Um, It was also outside, but we were also hearing reports that there were not a lot of people wearing masks or that there were people who were um, more than two to a table. Um, But we couldn't confirm any of that because I didn't want to say, hey, one of my staff, go cover this event. It seems like it's not safe. You should totally go to it. 
And I just have to battle with that all the time. Like I want us to cover these things, but I also, I don't know what I would do if I sent one of my staff to cover something and they got COVID there. Mm -hmm. Like, how would I live with that? You know? So it's just very stressful as a student, as someone who has been previously outspoken about the choice the administration has made. And then also as the editor in chief of the student publication. So balancing all three of those things in a way that makes sense and honors the people whose voices aren't being heard um, has been pretty difficult. And Anjali, I'll give you the last word. How are you managing through all this as a student and as the assistant news editor of the Emory Wheel? It's definitely been a bumpy ride throughout this entire process. So in the spring, when we first went online and got kicked off campus right after spring break, um, at that time, our main focus was on print. We were printing weekly. Um, Every Wednesday, we had a print paper issue coming out. And so we had to learn very quickly how to beef up our online coverage. And so that's definitely been a big plus for us as a student news org. Like we've definitely made a lot of digital changes that I think are for the better. Um, And then over the summer, we weren't used to doing coverage. Uh, In previous years, we haven't really done much, but this year we felt it was like our obligation to students to let them know, hey, what's the university planning on doing now? Why haven't they said anything? Like essentially keeping up with all of the COVID-19 updates. Mm -hmm. And at that time, as people have said before me, um, it wasn't so bad because we didn't have classes on top of that. And we also originally were going in with the mindset of, oh, we'll be able to come back in the fall and have our editor meetings and get to see other people, even if in a limited capacity. And then Emory closed and, uh, or not necessarily closed, but redefined who was coming to campus. And that did not include most of the wheel. Mm. (laughs) And now we're very stressed out. I'm very stressed out, constantly trying to keep up with university coverage as it's coming out at random times. Um, It hasn't been super consistent. And then managing that on top of a full course load has been very difficult. But also another aspect of this is, I never thought I'd say this, but I'm glad, almost glad Emory didn't send us back in certain ways because I'm watching my friends who are on campus in RA or SA positions get saddled with all these new responsibilities and being put in unsafe situations. And I'm constantly concerned for them as well. Like I'm concerned for all the students we're reporting on who are essentially sounding alarms about the way that administration has been handling things on campus. And so in addition to my own stress, I'm worried for those who are still left behind. Angeline Hoon, Assistant News Editor at the Emory Wheel. Emily Rose Thorne, Editor-in-Chief of The Cluster at Mercer University. Sherry Lee Young, Enterprise Reporter at The Red and Black. Lena Allen, Editor-in-Chief at Valdosta State University's The Spectator. First of all, thank you all for what you're doing and informing your community. That is so important. That's why we all chose this profession, right? Thank you all for taking the time, being a part of today's program. Remember, self-care is important. And remember, it's okay to disconnect. So thank you all for taking the time. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. That's it for this edition of Closer Look, which is produced by Grace Walker and LaShawn Hudson. Our engineer is Shelly Canavy. If you missed any of today's program, it's online at wabe.org slash Closer Look. And of course, you can listen to Closer Look weeknights at 8 p.m. And listen whenever you want, because Closer Look is now available as a podcast. Just visit NPR One or your favorite streaming app and subscribe. This is 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. Thank you.
Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. The Gold Dome Scramble podcast is now plugged in, a WABE politics podcast. New name, same on-the-ground reporting from us, WABE politics reporters Sam Greenglass and Raul Bally. We'll cover local, state, and national politics as we talk to politicians and voters to break down each week's biggest headlines. New episodes drop on Fridays. Listen and subscribe at WABE.org or your favorite podcast platform. WABE.